Welcome to episode number 185 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about what you need to know about storing your home canned food, specifically what safety things you need to know about the bans when it comes to storing those wonderful mason jars filled with food and or stacking jars of canned food on top of the other. We'll cover a few other things, but that's primarily what we're going to be talking about in this episode. At the date of this recording, we are moving into what's usually the busiest part of the preserving season in the Western Hemisphere. So we're moving right into summer. We're at the end of June. If it's not already where you live, it's going to be coming on pretty hot and heavy pretty soon, meaning you are going to be where the majority of your food preserving is going to happen over the next few months. And for a lot of people, that involves using home canning. And if you haven't done home canning yet, then maybe this is your summer and you're like, I am going to be doing this, which I am thrilled because if you have listened to the podcast for any amount of time, and if you're a brand new listener, welcome, you know that I love my mason jars and I love home canning. Now, there are many different ways to preserve your food at home, and each one has its place in a homestead pantry and kitchen but I still fall back on home canning. Like it, it's just my favorite. If you have to pick a favorite, it would be my favorite. Now, fermenting, root cellaring, dehydrating, using the freezer, all of those other forms, doing infusions and tinctures, depending on what we're talking about, they all have their form on preserving our food at home. But canning is my favorite. So I want to tell you a few important things before we really dive into the meat of this episode. The first one is, There's a short window of time where we are going to be taking new members into the Pioneering Today Academy. So you can only join a few certain times a year. And our open enrollment period right now is going to be June 28th, 2019 through July 2nd. So I highly encourage you if you are listening on those dates that you go and check out the Pioneering Today Academy because it's going to be one of the only times you'll be able to join this year. And once the doors are closed, we're not taking any new members in. So you will see the Pioneering Today Academy button when you go to melissakanorris.com. You can just click on that. And if we're open, it will take you to the page with all the information on joining. If we're not open, it will go straight to the notify list. So you can just pop your email in there. And then the next time that we do open, you will be one of the first ones to get a notification. And the reason I say that is because we are gearing up inside the membership to go through our preserving challenge. So the whole summer, every week, we have assignments and lessons and tutorials that walk you through preserving the harvest in all of the different ways. And the beautiful thing about it is you get it all laid out for you so it's not overwhelming. You get all of the information you need in order to do said things, and you get the inspiration and encouragement of other people. So when we have members go through the preserving challenge, We have many, many people who can or preserve, it's not just canning, fermenting, doing all of those other things, way more than they have ever done before. And they do so with confidence and without having the stress and the overwhelm. So we have members who have never canned or preserved food before, who within just eight weeks will come out the other side with 200 jars of food put up. 
Now, you may be like, I don't want to put up that much food. And that's totally fine, too. It's all self-paced and up to you. We have other members who have maybe never fermented before, and they get into fermenting and absolutely love it. If any of that sounds like something that you would be interested in, and you're looking to put home-preserved food on your pantry shelves, I highly encourage you while we're open to go and check that out. Now, the other cool thing that I'm doing is I am doing a free home food preservation series. We're going to be going over fermenting, dehydrating, and canning. And you are going to actually get... These are all lessons. You're going to get one lesson from each of these series totally for free that's normally only available inside the Pioneering Today Academy. So it's a video lesson with download guides that you'll get to go through up for free for just a limited time. And we're going to be kicking all of that off right now. So if you're not there, you want to make sure that you get signed up for that because they will only be up for a week. So you can find all of the information that I'm talking about for today's episode in the full blog post that accompanies it, melissaknorris.com forward slash 185, because this is episode number 185. Okay, so let's get straight to this episode number 185. This past week, I was making homemade blueberry pancakes on a Saturday morning, one of our favorite things to do on a weekend morning. I opened up the freezer door and went to grab one of my bags of blueberries. So we have blueberry bushes and we raise pretty much all of our own fruit. And I keep some frozen blueberries in the fridge. I turn some of it, of course, into blueberry jam and blueberry syrup and blueberry pie filling, all the fun things you can do with blueberries, right? But I do keep some frozen because I love to just pop frozen blueberries into pancakes, waffles, and muffins for the most part. And when I grabbed the bag, it was partially thawed out. And I'm like, oh, maybe we didn't get the door shut on the freezer. And this was the small freezer that's attached to your fridge. Ours happens to be on the bottom part of it. Now, just for clarification, we have two large freezers. I have an upright standalone freezer and also a chest freezer that we use because we raise all of our own meat. So I do can some of my meat, but a good portion of it, I'm also freezing. We have our organic grass-fed beef, our pork. We butcher usually about, kind of depends on the year, but usually averagely about 20 whole meat chickens. So I'll have 20 whole chickens at butcher time in the freezer. We go, we have a little ski boat that's just like a 17-footer. And we go in the bay, which is about an hour from where our house is. And we have little crab pots and we go crabbing during the summer and we get enough crab that we're then able to cook and then freeze. You can can crab, but usually I end up freezing my crab and then salmon. So pretty much almost all the majority of our meat is in the freezer. And we happen to do most of our butchering in the fall. So that means I have to have enough freezer space to have a whole pig and to do half to a full cow and then the chickens and all of our seafood. So the reason I share that with you is because I do keep a few things of berries and other things that just don't lend themselves very well to other forms of preservation. So I don't want them fermented. They're not really that great dehydrated, etc. I do keep a few things in the freezer, but not a ton. And you'll understand why I prefaced all of that in just a minute. I get the bag of berries out and make the pancakes. And I'm like, the door must have not gotten shot on the freezer. So I put them back in and I adjust the freezer temperature down to the coldest that it will go. And I make sure that that bad boy is firmly shut. So about four or five hours go by. And then I reopen the freezer door to check, knowing that it's been firmly shut that whole time. And everything at this point 
is beginning to thaw out, meaning my freezer on my fridge is going kaput. I have a thermometer in the fridge part and it was oscillating between about 42 degrees all the way up to 48 degrees, meaning that my poor little fridge is just on its way out. Now, I purchased our fridge 14 years ago used. So this is like a 20-year-old fridge. Thankfully, I do have those two other freezers so that I could take the food that was in the freezer that was beginning to thaw out. So quite a bit of berries, a few things of meat that I had just put in there, some ice cream, of course, ice cubes. We don't have an automatic water or ice maker in the fridge. I just feel like that's something to go out or to leak. And even though I'm modern enough that I want to have a regular running refrigerator, I want it to be as plain Jane as possible. So I feel like there's less to go wrong on them and they last longer. Anyhow, the fridge and freezer were on its way out. The freezer itself wasn't working at all. We are purchasing a new refrigerator. (laughs) But the moral of this story and the reason that I'm sharing it with you on this podcast episode is because I was so grateful as I was transferring a few different bags of blueberries and raspberries. So it was primarily fruit that I had in there and a few other things that Every time I was making this trip of taking these items to the freezer in our laundry room, which is our upright freezer, I was passing by one of my storage areas where I've got all of my home canned goods. Well, not all of them. One of the areas I have my home canned goods, I should specify, and the majority of my dehydrated food. And I was like, oh, I am so grateful that the majority of my food is sitting there in those jars and is shelf stable and I don't have to worry about if something goes out. Now, I do have two freezers, like I said, that do run on electricity. Our house, we're not solar powered and we do use electricity for them. And I do have some of my meat canned. Usually when we get venison, I can up everything except the back strap. And then we can a lot of our salmon. So we lightly smoke it and then pressure can our salmon. So I, and then chicken, I will can up individual parts of chicken. I really like to keep whole chickens though, because I will roast those or smoke those. We'll eat the meat that night for supper and then turn it into whatever else we're having the rest of the week. And then I take the carcass and that's what I will turn into all of our different bone broths and make up a whole bunch of broths. So I like to keep my whole chickens whole because I plan on using the carcass that way. So I don't typically can up a whole lot of the chicken just because of that. I know if something does happen to our freezers that I can can up that meat. Totally have the capability to do it. And I try to always keep extra jars on hand and lids just as safeguard in case of an emergency type situation where I needed to can up a lot of stuff at once. But I was so glad that we practice home food preservation and a lot of that for our fruits and vegetables, almost all of our fruits and vegetables, we practice shelf stable, meaning it's either dehydrated and or it's canned. So it can just sit on the shelf without having to worry about doing anything else to it. Now, when it comes to looking at those jars of home canned food, some of the most questions or confusion that I see or asked, which I'm so glad people are asking and are showing an interest in these these older traditional skill sets. I think it's wonderful. But that is how to store your home canned food. What's the best way or why you should do certain things? So the first thing that comes up is should you store your jars of home canned food with the bands on or off? So the bands, you put your metal lid down on top of your jar, and then you screw the band down when you are processing them, either at a pressure canner or a water bath canner, depending upon the type of food that you're canning. 
After they come out of the canner, you're going to put them on a towel. You never put a hot jar out of a counter directly on the countertop where you risk thermal shock where the glass can break or crack. Put it on a jar and you let it sit for a minimum of 12 hours without touching it. (laughs) So you don't move it and you don't touch the bands, right? 12 to 24 hours. After that, you want to test and make sure that your lid has sealed so that it doesn't pop. It's firmly sucked down. Everything is good to go and you've got a good seal. Then you're going to move your jars to their storage spot. So ideally, not in direct sunlight. So not in a hot spot and not where you have near a window where you've got the light coming through the sunlight and a relatively cool spot. Now, the controversy comes in. There's two controversies, if you didn't know this, on storing your home canned goods. So this is what we're going to get to. And that is, do you remove the bands after they've went through that minimum 12 to 24 hour period where you don't touch them? So with the bands, I remove mine. And here's the official sources from Ball Canning, National Center of Home Food Preservation, kind of our like the go-to for safety that have testing and where we go to get the majority of our information when it comes to staying safe with canning. I prefer to remove my bands. And here's the reasons why. One, I can anywhere from like four to 600 jars of food a year. And it's in kind of constant rotation. I, I can all year long. But the majority of my big bulk of my canning happens July through September. I do not want to have to have four to 600 canning bands or rings, whichever way you want to reference them, I don't want to have to try to store those. They are a pain to store if they're just loose. And that's a lot. And if I store them on all of my jars, then I have to keep all of those bands. And if you store them on your jars, they are a lot more likely to rust. And once the bands begin to rust, they don't screw down easily and or as firmly, and then you need to replace them. So one, it's a storage issue. Two, it's a money issue. I don't want to have to have that much and purchase that much. And I certainly don't want to have to replace them and purchase them again. Now, so that's main reason number one. But the other reason, and this is where you kind of will actually see a little bit of conflicting information in different spots on the National Center for Home Food Preservation and even from Ball. But the other reason is kind of a safety reason. That is, if you have the band screwed down and you lift up a jar, if that seal has broken while that food has been sitting on the shelf, the band is holding the metal lid down in place and you aren't going to know it. So if you have lids just sitting on your sealed jars of food and the seal gets lost because of bacteria compromise or whatnot, and it pops off, one, usually, now this is not true of botulism, but other forms of bacteria because the botulism is odorless. You can't see it and you can't smell it. But there's other things. So if you have mold or lots of bubbling or it starts to rot and that seal is broken that you can see and you can smell. And so as long as that band isn't screwed down, you as soon as you pick up that jar and or odor-wise, it pops up, you're going to smell it and you're going to visually see it really quickly. And that's great because that allows you to get rid of that food and not accidentally consume it and not have it growing icky stuff on your shelves, right? In your house and in your pantry. So that's the main reason is safety and just quick visual inspection you're going to know. The other thing, and this is where a lot of people are most concerned safety-wise, 
is if you have the bands on and the seal were to break, especially if it was kind of more a sticky type food, that it could provide a false seal with a band on there. And so you would think that it was still sealed when you went to pick it up and to use it and you wouldn't notice that the seal had been broken. I have never had that happen, but the majority of my jars, I don't store with the bands on anyways. But that's kind of the biggie is what if the seal were to break and it would default seal again with that band on and you would unknowingly consume that food. Now, a couple of different arguments or things I've seen is people say, well, when I removed the band after I canned my food, I removed the ring and the band and the seals popped. And so I don't want to remove the bands because I don't want my seals to break. Okay, listen up. My friend, if you remove the band and your seal pops, then it was not sealed properly to begin with. By all means, remove every single band if that happens so that you can check those jars before consuming them. Because removing the band should not, I repeat, should not make you lose a seal. As I said, I have been canning for 20 years and removing my bands, and I have never lost a seal by removing the band. If you remove the band and then the seal breaks, it's not from the band removal. It's because something else was going wrong with your process. Now, some people will decide to remove the band. And this is actually another reason you want to remove the band, especially if you're dealing with foods that tend to have siphoning or are fruits or sticky or, or sugary is during the processing, and this is true with water bath and or with pressure canning, siphoning happens with some of the liquid will come out from the jar and beneath the lid before it seals. So during the processing time, that's why sometimes you will notice that there is liquid loss inside the jar after you canned, even though you followed the correct headspace for the recipe, or you'll pick up the jar and it feels kind of sticky on the outside. Or you'll even see a little bit of things on the outside of the jar if it's something colored, especially like tomato sauce or maybe a fruit syrup or sauce or jam or jelly. So you want to remove the band because some of that may be stuck underneath the band. And even though the jar seals, if it's stuck underneath the band and you leave that band on, it can begin to mold. And also just in the instance that you would have pests If you've got sticky stuff or food on the outside of a jar, that is going to attract pests. So we don't want that. So it's best recommendations to remove the band, wipe down or wash the outside of the jar after it's sealed and you've waited that full 24 hours and then wipe it dry and put it on the shelf and then you're good to go when you've checked your seal to make sure that it's sealed. Now, some people will do this. They'll remove their bands, wipe everything down, make sure it's totally dry, and then they will loosely put the band back on and store it on the shelf. Now, that is not what I practice. Some people do that. And like I said, our trusted sources, they don't say you absolutely have to remove the bands, but they do say that it's best practice. And that's for the reasons that I just outlined for you. That's why it's best practices to not store them with the bands on. Like I said, for my own personal reasons, it's simply because I only need to make sure that I've got 20 bands of wide mouth and 20 bands of regular size on hand at all times because that's the most that I can do in my pressure canner. If I'm doing pints in my All-American 21 and a half quart, I can do between 19 and 20 pints at once. And so as long as I have got 20 bands, then that's really all I need because I'm taking them off after 
the jar has cooled down fully and sealed. And then I can use them on the next one. So that helps a lot because I don't have to worry about storing a whole bunch of these bands all the time. Now, what about when it comes to stacking your jars and storing them on the shelf? Well, as I said earlier, any food storage that you're doing out of direct sunlight, not in heat and away from the light. So ideally where it's dark or at least not by a window. And it's best, you know, between 60 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. We don't have air conditioning. So occasionally during the summer months for a few weeks, my home inside will get in around the 80s, but usually it stays below that. So it's not ideal to store your home canned foods, even though they're sealed. Same with your dehydrated food. You really don't want to be storing that in an area that's getting up into 85, 90, 95 degrees Fahrenheit for prolonged periods of time and or you don't want your jars of home canned food to freeze either. So if it's down in the 40s, I really don't worry about that myself personally, though my house doesn't ever get down that cold. But ideally, if you can keep them between about 55 degrees to 75 degrees, and you really don't want to have a ton of big temperature swings either. But if you can do that, then you definitely... And dry, of course, especially with dehydrated, right? We don't want to introduce some moisture back in. That's the point of dehydrating it to make it shelf stable, but a dry areas as well. So what about stacking your jars? Now, this is like, who would have, I never would have thought there could be so much controversy in homesteading you guys and all the things that comes with it, but there is. So when it comes to stacking your jars, you are going to see people say you should never stack your jars. Putting that weight on top is going to make you lose a seal and all of this type of things. Well, to be on the safe side, if you stack your jars, you want to make sure one, that whatever you're stacking them on the shelf or the surface that they're on can really hold the weight because jars of home canned food, especially the quart size, they can get pretty heavy. So you want to make sure it's on a really good supported system. You want to make sure it's not going to collapse. You want to make sure that if you're stacking, they're not going to topple over and fall over and break because they're mason jars, they're glass, right? But the actual part of stacking them If you look at the National Center of Home Food Preservation, they recommend not going too deep. So just doing one row on top of the other. And some places will say, well, you should use cardboard in between them or something that will help to more evenly distribute the weight. But there's not really any tested or hard rules that say this. So you can stack your jars if you wish. And the weight of the jar should not break the seal. Now, Could it weaken a seal? Possibly. That's why a lot of people choose not to stack their home canned goods on top of one another. But if you go to the official sources, which is my motto is go to official places that are actually testing this stuff and see their recommendations, there isn't anything that says do not stack your jars because it's proven to make you lose a seal or it's not safe. Okay. And of course, you know, we're using common sense. Like I said, weight of the shelf, the unit that you have it on, that it's not going to fall over and be top heavy, all that kind of stuff. So personally, as long as I have the space, then I don't stack my jars. If I am going to stack my jars, which I do sometimes, especially when it comes like September, when I've got the most amount of filled jars that I have at one time, usually is in September, right at the end of garden season. What I will do is if I've got some quart-sized jars and or pint jars, especially, then I will take some of my smaller jelly jars or jam jars that have smaller amounts, obviously, of jam or jelly or lightweight things like that. And sometimes if I just absolutely need to because I need the space, 
then I will stack those smaller jars on top of the bigger jars, never more than just one. So I'll only have one jar on top of another two rows deep maximum. I have, again, never experienced any type of compromise seal or seal loss by doing this. I also only do it against the back of the shelves or against the back of the walls. And I'll only do it like on the back row or the back two so that it's at the back and it's not at the front. So if it were to fall over, that it would just be against the back of the wall so that it's not actually going to fall over. It's going to be positioned against that or it would just fall over, but it wouldn't be at the front where it would fall off and over and then crash and go all the way down to the floor. So there you have it. They're the reasoning. So if you want to be on the absolute safe side, remove your bands and don't stack jars. If you want to stack your jars, you know how and when I choose to do so. And if you want to leave your bands on, best practices is to wash completely dry and don't put them on tight to put them on very loosely. That's not something that I do. I personally remove all of my bands, but I will jar stack every now and then in the way that I outlined. Now, If you would like more information on preserving your food at home, specifically doing canning safely, including pressure canning, fermenting, and dehydrating, I highly encourage you go to melissaknorris.com forward slash preservation and get yourself signed up for the free home food preservation series that's going on right now. And of course, you can access all of the show notes with all of the different resources. And I will even link to some of the previous episodes and things that will help you along these lines at melissaknorris.com forward slash 185 because this is episode number 185. Okay, now we're on to our verse of the week. I am sharing from the Amplified Translation of the Bible and we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with him, draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides, put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armored soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture. And one, because I tend to want to do things in my own power, in my own strength, and not necessarily even intentionally, I'm just a doer. I think most homesteaders are. We have grit. We have determination. We're not afraid of hard work and we dive in. And if something's not working, then we figure out a way to make it work. And we need that when it comes to homesteading and raising your own food and doing this. Those are really great skill sets and qualities to have. But on the other hand, I tend to want to fix everything. And instead of being my first resort, it's usually my last resort when I have exhausted myself and exhausted everything that I can possibly think of in my mind to fix something or to get something done and it's not working before I actually turn to the Lord, when it should be the complete opposite. And I'm working on that. Maybe you're with me. (laughs) But my natural tendency is to go to the Lord last. I know it sounds so bad, but it's just the truth and try to fix it myself first, which of course wears me out and exhausts me and makes me frustrated, which is not a happy place to be for me or even the people around me. And so I need this verse to remind myself to become empowered with my union with him, not on my own self, 
and to draw my strength from him. And the other part of this verse that I really like and that I need to be reminded of so often is so that I can successfully stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. And interestingly enough, this doesn't say to fight and to go to battle because other places in scripture tell us that the battle belongs to the Lord and it's his fight. And instead, I try to make it my fight. But I just need to stand on God's word and on his promises and he will do the fighting if I am grounded in him and have his armor on and I don't try to arm myself with my own armor. So maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you are very similar to me or you're going through a space in your life. So I encourage you, if you're feeling that way, to go through Ephesians chapter six and to let the Lord fight your battles. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I hope that I see you in our free home food preservation series. And I hope that I get to welcome you into the academy as well. And I also hope, there's a whole lot of hope going on right there, that you are subscribed to this podcast, whatever app or way that you're listening to it, that you go ahead and hit subscribe because I have a very fun special episode coming up for you next week. So every Friday, we put out a new episode. And if you're subscribed, you don't even have to remember to go and check. It will just show up as soon as that new episode is there. And then you can listen to it at your leisure. But I'm going to have a really fun episode with one of our favorite guests who is coming back. And this one has to do a little bit of a teaser here with putting in perennial herbs and a kitchen cottage garden. But specifically, these are plants that most people, they're either a little bit forgotten or people don't even know that you can use them medicinally. So I learned a ton on this episode. I'm going to give you a teaser. Hollyhocks, y'all, they're not just pretty. You can use hollyhocks like you can marshmallow root. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that's just one of many that we're going to be diving into and talking about. I will be back here with you next week. I won't tease any more of the episode until then. Thank you.